Hi, my name is Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. We are going to have so much fun together. I hope that our conversations about pleasure light you up. And I hope they inspire you to reclaim your desires and create more space in your day to bring pleasure into your work, your family life, and yes, even your sex life. We will practice and explore the art of pleasure together. Let's play. Hello, everybody. I'm Pasha Marlowe, and this is the Let Pleasure Be the Measure podcast. And I am thrilled to announce that today's guest is a new friend and one of my most fun friends. And every time I talk to her, I get really excited and all goosebumpy because it's always fun and pleasurable. So today I bring you Dr. Kirsten Milliken. (laughs) You're saying my name gives me goosebumps. (laughs) Dr. Kirsten Milliken, psychologist, ADHD coach, public speaker, author of Play DHD, and co-creator of the world of ADHD. All fantastic, phenomenal projects that I can't wait to hear more about. So welcome, Kirsten. Thank you, Pasha. I'm so glad to talk to you again. Yay. Kirsten and I used to live in the same city not too long ago, Portland, Maine, but today she is coming to us from Tennessee, her new home filled with very cool retro decor behind her. Ma'am. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. But Kirsten's just one of those people that as soon as I heard about her, I stalked her and then knew I had to meet her. And then as soon as I met her, I'm like, oh, I have a new friend. And then she told me she was moving and I was very upset. But thank goodness we can still connect uh, through podcasting and Zooming and all that. So I'm just so excited to know you. Your work inspires me and helps me reframe my own ADHD. Nice. Well, I have to say the feeling is mutual and I have been uh, stalking you as well since we met. So back at you. We're we're stalking each other. How fun. So I always ask my guests, uh, how do you define pleasure? Um, Pleasure for me, especially because I work in the world of ADHD is anything that activates the dopamine in my brain. So anything that makes me feel happy, motivated, interested um, is pleasure. Yeah, I love that answer. And so what creates that pleasure and dopamine effect for you most? Oh, God. Um, I think, well, right now, the excitement of setting up a new home yeah. um, is really fun. I know you were moving uh, soon as well. And always setting up a new space is so exciting to see, like, what you can create with the space, how you can arrange things. Um, If I moved in, usually I've moved into houses that need some kind of rehab or some zhuzhing up or whatever. This house has been redone in the last couple of years. So I kind of was a little disappointed that there wasn't going to be that much. It wasn't broken enough. It wasn't broken enough inside the house. And I was so excited when I went in and saw that they put a really crappy 
closet system in like really uh, like beautiful beautiful house all these beautiful appliances and really nice storage systems and then you come to the master closet and it's just ugly like cheap cheap so i was very excited to be able to create a new closet system and we're going to put that in soon so oh good okay so that's your that's your first project that's my first project and then of course you know we've got this i've got this like 10 foot long uh, system of shelves here from like the sixties. And, uh, I got to set that up and we've got a bunch of other mid-century furniture that we've been collecting over the years that we're going to get to decorate with. So, so fun. I see old radios and flamingos. Oh, we've and got radios and flamingos. And one of the things to the side here is actually got a television and old bubble kind of TV that goes on top of it. And, oh, we've just got, I've got Barbie kitchen stuff up here. <laughs> Barbie dream house in your new house. It's so great to talk to somebody else with ADHD who celebrates it because it's just so much fun. And, and when I tell people I'm moving again, this will be my 19th move coming up next month that I'm doing it for fun. They're like, why are you moving? Where are you moving to? I said, well, down the street. Why? Because it's fun. Why? Because I get to create a whole new space, redesign my, my life redesign my style they're like what What? why would you do that i know i know well one of the one of our criteria for when i moved especially since we didn't look for a crappy house that i could rebuild the inside of was to have property outside because i want to build a nice garden and we have these vintage trailers and i want to set those up and you know have them as like maybe little airbnbs and oh yeah so fun yeah so much fun so so other than moving what other crazy thing do you feel like you or other folks with ADHD just embrace that other people think is so bizarre um well right now that's a hard hard one I think meeting new people like when you reached out to me that was just like you know the highlight of maybe two or three months for me is to meet somebody new and dynamic and get to talk to them and even you know connecting with my my old friends i know at the beginning of the pandemic one of the things that was really exciting was starting to use the opportunity that we all had because a lot of people were sitting at home not knowing if they were going to be working um was calling people and connecting with people that i hadn't talked to in a long time and just you know having those interactions i love connecting socially with people um whether it's at work or just you know day to day so um, not everybody with ADHD obviously loves that. I think we're all a little bit different. Uh, there is no one way that ADHD presents. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, I've got friends who have ADHD who love doing spreadsheets. I'm like, wow, that sounds horrible to me. <laughs> that does sound horrible. What? So yeah, I just, um, you know, anything new, novel, um, you know, social, and I, and when I say social, more like that one-on-one or, you know, a couple people at a time connections, um, creating something new. You and I talked recently about, um, like developing new, new skills, learning new things, learning about comedy and, and just kind of diving headfirst into doing things like that. So, yes. Um, yeah, anything like that that comes up. Right now I'm reading a book about um, like the history of breathing and yeah, which is really weird. It sounds really boring. It's it, right? Doesn't the topic sound really boring, but it's actually like really interesting and learning how, 
you know, over time, our breathing system in our, in our body and our, our facial structures have changed because of how we are uh, and how that affects our mental health and can, in fact, mimic symptoms of ADHD. So that's which is not the point of the book. The ADHD part is not, but that's part of what they write about. So yeah, well, I assume you see everything through the lens of ADHD. Every now. time I say ADHD on a page, I'm like, Whoop, there it is. <laughs> it keeps coming back. It does. It does. And I've been able to see it recently as a um, not a pain point or a shame point, but as a like a, a superhero talent um, to get a lot of shit done um and it used to really frustrate me that I was multitasking because I felt like I wasn't focusing on one thing and now I'm just like well maybe I'm just the kind of person who's going to focus on a whole lot of things and not necessarily be a a quote-unquote expert on one but I really love the diversity and And um, seeing where it goes yeah yeah yeah. seeing where it goes so yeah I mean I I often think back like oh I remember when I was like really heavily into you know studying or learning about X, Y, or Z. And I'm like, what was it that I learned? About? <laughs> I don't think that was yesterday. Now I've got this whole new, you know, focus that I'm on. So um, yeah, it's always interesting seeing what's going to come up next and, and just discovering new things that are going to spark my interest. Because of course it feels so good to be motivated and excited about something. So. Yes. And if you're like me being bored or not sparked uh, for a long period of time, it, it, well, for me, I go straight into a dark depression, yeah, depression. quickly. Yep. Yep. And so I have to keep myself um, actually just a little bit scared, like doing yep. things that are new, but also slightly challenging and outside of my comfort zone to keep my brain engaged. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so as a psychologist, are all of your patients ADHD or no I actually so you know I've, I've worked in a lot of different settings um, school settings nursing home settings I've worked for the police department um, but actually ironically not very ADHD of me over the last 12 years I have worked primarily either directly for or as a contractor for the veterans administration system doing pension exams with veterans mm-hmm. so um, it's you know, veterans or people in the military have a very high rate of of ADHD compared to the normal population. It just draws people Hmm. um, who have that, that uh, mindset uh, because the structure and the, you know, just knowing what's, what's expected of you and what's going to happen next. And also the hands-on, you know, active aspect of the military is, is very popular with people who have ADHD. Um, So, so just because I work with that population, I happen to see a lot of people with ADHD and have the opportunity to talk to them about it. Um, I'm not doing treatment with them, um, but I'm doing pension exams with them. So that feeds me because I get to see somebody new, you know, every hour or so I'm seeing somebody new and hearing a different story and connecting to a new person. So there's no opportunity for me to get very bored. No boredom, um, yes. Yep, no, it's really great, so. And you wrote in your book, I'm not quoting, but the the concept was that one of the best non-medication interventions for ADHD is play. It is in all its forms, in all its forms. What goes back to what we were talking about, like what is pleasure? And it's, it's whatever activates the dopamine for you. So whether it's conversation with somebody or like, I really get excited sometimes when I'm doing my writing, 
and I'm really in the groove about, you know, saying something or figuring something out. Um, so, you know, looking at the times when you feel attentive and motivated and want to continue, which is kind of the definition of play, um, those, that's your form of, that's your form of play and it can be anything. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like I said, for that one person that I know, it's doing spreadsheets. That's her play. It's hopefully only one form of play that she does. <laughs> you do you. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, you know, some people it's cooking, some people it's building things, um, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But, um, but when I, you talk to people who have ADHD and say, think of a time when, you know, these challenges weren't there. You felt focused. You felt like your brain was, you know, on, you were motivated. You wanted to continue what you were doing. What was that? Yes. And, and you know, that's and, your play. And can, and can you repeat that? And sometimes it's hard to repeat. Sometimes you find those novel things that after you've done them a few times, it's not fun anymore. It's not play anymore, but the novelty is what you want to keep on striving for because that's your play. So, so this brings up an interesting question for me. My, my husband and I both have it. Um, and he likes things like drumming, um, yep. you know, something, a rhythm and a structure. And he reads directions, but I do not. I'm allergic to all directions. Yep. Um, so we both present completely differently. And then just on a more personal level, I'm thinking, okay, the idea of needing to be um, kind of constantly stimulated in new things. Right. I'm just wondering if the incident uh, uh, incidence of infidelity is greater in relationships where one or both partners have ADHD. Do you know? Um, Ari Tuckman's actually done a lot of research around sexuality and ADHD. Um, I cannot tell you what all of his outcomes are, except that he expected to find a lot more promiscuity and infidelity. Um, so I'm not sure if he compared the rates among people with ADHD and not, or uh, I know that he looked at a lot of couples where one or both had ADHD. Um, but again, I haven't looked at all of the details of, the, of that research that he, and I know it's ongoing for him. It's relatively new in the last few years. Okay. That, so. Maybe my next podcast guest. Maybe. Could be Ari Tuckman. <laughs> I would be happy to introduce you to him. Thank you. Yeah. I just think it's fascinating how, how it affects our relationships socially, sexually, all of it. Um, it's just fascinating to me. Yeah. So. And I, I think, curious. and I think, again, you have to keep in mind that, you know, there are different ways that ADHD presents, as you're saying, between you and your husband, very different. Some people are a lot more stimulus seeking. Other people are, you know, not as, as much. Some people are more expansive. Some people and have more of the hyperactivity. Others have more of the inattention. Um, so, um, and I'm not sure if Ari is looking at the different nuances mm. of the diagnosis and how that affects sexuality. Interesting. Okay. And I don't think it was him that I can't remember the researcher um, who said the opposite of perfection is play. And there was a really interesting conversation in there about how perfectionism. Sutton's, I think it's Sutton Smith. Uh, he okay. died a couple of years ago. Yeah. Okay. And um, how perfection is tied into shame and, and I think also a trauma response. And so, which would mean that potentially play could help treat trauma and shame and perfectionism. And so ha do you work in that realm with your- um, When I'm doing coaching, which again is on a very limited basis um, for many reasons. Uh, I was doing it a lot in the past, but uh, 
I'm not so much now. Um, that was the focus that I was working on is helping people to figure out, you know, what is activating and what is uh, play for them. And, and shame is a big stuck point um, for a lot of people. First in just acknowledging, overcoming, you know, the stigma of ADHD, starting to recognize their strengths and then starting to embrace the idea of actually playing because there's just as an adult period for getting an adult with ADHD, there's so many stigmas around playing and having fun and that that's, you know, that's not being an adult. You have to be serious and head down, you know, nose to the grindstone kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and, and people with ADHD, of course, often get the message, you know, to stop goofing off or they're not being serious enough. So that gets kind of ingrained even more deeply um, sure. than it does for, for just everyday normal adults, yes. <laughs> you know, typical adults. Yeah. It's one of the benefits um, because my husband, who's an elementary school teacher, teaches third grade ah. and, and he is such a soft spot for kids who are, you know, bouncing off the walls with their creativity and have yeah. a lot of ideas and, and he sees the gifts in that. So, yep. um, and, and then to not shame uh, them for this and to embrace it, but then you're right, as we grow up and later in life we get yeah. more and more encouragement to get back in the box right. <laughs> and, right. and play small and not expand all of our thoughts. Could you just pick one? How many times has a business coach told me? <laughs> or could you just finish one? <laughs> finish one or pick one. Right. I'm going to pick right. one of my ideas. What? My... what? But they're all good. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to do them all simultaneously. Just right. watch me. Right. <laughs> My husband and I have a joke and he says, you could buy a house, sell a house, write a book in the same time it takes me to go to the grocery store. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> as long as he's walking. <laughs> and it's a short book. <laughs> I'm just glad he goes to the grocery store because I hate doing that. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. If I they could change the aisles too. and put different things in the aisles every time I go, I might yeah. want to go, but it's the same every well, time. Well, and now you have to follow the rules in Maine of going down the aisle in one direction. <laughs> Following arrows. That's like torture. It's like torture. Like that. I, I find ways around the rules, you know, because if you leave your cart at the end, then you can walk down the aisle. It's really just pushing the cart down the aisle the wrong way that's that's not okay okay so the carts have to follow the earth that's my rule that's my rule interesting <laughs> interesting that's funny yeah i'm gonna be ready when the rules lift a little bit yeah. um i follow them but it's hard um and yes and then there'll be there'll be some frolicking happening soon kirsten nice nice <laughs> Down in Tennessee, I have to tell you, there's a little too much frolicking happening right now for me. So it's a little unnerving sometimes. It, oh, with with masks off. And, yes, with masks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, those are the kind of rules I follow because I actually yeah. like people and don't want them to die. Exactly. But arrows, I'm like, I no. do it. I arrows do to it. get to the peas? No, come on. The peas are right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tricky. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just, I'm just thinking back to just the idea of going to school and how aver adverse I was to the idea of coloring in the lines or that those ridiculous, like color in the dots, like put yellow where there's the ones and green where there's the twos, like who created that? I that's know. 
That's- I have to say I was very fortunate when I was in elementary school that I had a teacher, Mr. Burgraff, in my third and fourth grade years. And he had an open classroom. And so the gifted students were all in his classroom in this open classroom. And we had like a rope swing and a piano and beanbag chairs and bunnies. And we had people coming to visit the classroom and we were going on outings all the time. It was just the most wonderful thing in the whole wide world. And I think about that compared to when my younger son was in, I think it was fourth grade. He had a teacher who was like, the polar opposite of Mr. Burgraff and that she wrote students' names on the boards mm. when they didn't turn in their homework. And mm. she was constantly critical and, um, you know, always shaming kids who weren't doing what she thought they should be doing. And it just was a nightmare. I was, she and I came to blows. <laughs> and I think she ended up, she ended up retiring the next year in lieu of me making a formal complaint. So. Uh-oh. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I just, uh, yeah, yeah. So because kids really do need that reinforcement, you know, that play is a natural state. It's where they're learning at their, at their highest level. And that's true, not just for kids, but for everybody. If we're engaged in that playful way, yes. when we are learning our best and also sharing the best of ourselves. So, um, you know, to, to tell somebody to stop it, to not play, to not have pleasure, to not feel good <laughs> is uh, kind of to tell them, you know, that, that they shouldn't be doing their best. Right. Feeling their best. I grew up not realizing that my innate state is joy. Yeah. I somehow thought I had to earn it. Yeah. Uh, and then it wasn't coming even upon earning what I thought I needed to earn, whether right. it was the degrees or the whatever jobs, children, everything. And to, to realize that just from childhood and in schools that, that, that lesson should be taught. We, yeah. we, this is supposed to be fun. This, right. this life right. we're leaving. And when I talk to groups and companies about leading with laughter, there's still this overwhelming belief that if you're leading with laughter, you lose authority. Right. And that you're seen as- And you're uh, not working hard. Yes, you're not working hard or too, and not productive. And yet all the research says, I'm sure you know, is showing that if, so, if a leader is showing some vulnerability and sense of humor and playfulness that they actually are more relatable and more trustworthy and there's more engagement and you can't have the- aha without a haha you can't you can't think with if you're tuning out so it's it's not losing authority it's it's gaining rapport and trust in a company Um, and so yeah I'm really excited to sneak this work into the corporate world um soon I'm just manifesting that right now. You're also going to have to talk to Gary Ware, who's been doing some of that as well. Oh, good. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've got Ari Tuckman and Gary Ware. I've got to to introduce you to. You're going to have to write these things down (laughs) on one of the many sticky notes. I don't have them in front of me. I know. I didn't expect to have to write something down. So, oh, we sent, I do. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Every good person with ADHD should have sticky notes in front of them. (laughs) Oh, whoever, whoever invented the sticky note. Yes. Oh, God bless them. I hear it. Does ADHD tend to run in families? Like it does. It's one of the most highly heritable um, disorders in the, in the diagnostic manual. So, okay. Yep. Pretty high. So if you've got, you know, one parent or, or both parents with ADHD, you've got a pretty high likelihood that um, your kids are going to have ADHD. Okay. 
And when people talk about neurodivergence, I hope I got that correct, the terminology correctly. Um, does that include ADHD? It, it, it includes it. It's not just ADHD, right. but it's, you know, it can be autism, you know, spectrum disorders. It can be um, mm -hmm. other learning differences and mm -hmm. yeah, many different things. And I think, you know, when you talk about neurodivergence, they're talking specifically about the difference between people who are neurotypical, who kind of, you know, bit of standard learning style and, and expression. Um, but if you think about it, really, we're all neurodivergent. We all, you know, think in our own way and learn in our own way and have particular ways of expressing ourselves. So um, we're all a little bit different. Just some of us get diagnosed with something. Um, right. Yeah. So. And, and the fact that ADHD, sometimes I forget what the acronym actually stands for, but of course at the end of it is disorder. And right. so is there a um, push in the community at all to reframe, rename? I'm just- I think if you, yeah, with not to rename it because part of it is, is that when you get kids who have ADHD in school, in order to access services, there okay. has to be a diagnosis also- okay. You know, and, and you have to think too, it's on a spectrum. So some kids have a little bit of it and, you know, they can manage just fine. They don't need any, you know, IEP or, or any kind of accommodations. And then you get the other end of the spectrum where they need, you know, more support, you know, medication maybe and support outside of school, what have you. Um, and so having that diagnosis does serve a purpose. Okay. Um, I think you know, and then of course there, there are people though who have the diagnosis and like you and I are embracing how it also makes us extraordinary. And so to think of as an, a disorder as making you extraordinary kind of doesn't really go together, um, but there it is. So yeah, it, yeah, I wonder if that last D instead of disorder could be diagnoses um, and still gain the same Services. It, it can't because it, it, it won't. I mean, it would just won't. you have to work within the mental health community, which is under the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, right? It has to be a, mm -hmm. a disorder. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So, but I think that everybody, you know, if you get stuck on the, the label of it, yeah, then you miss the opportunity to see how it benefits your life and what comes out of it. And, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, kids do struggle when they're in school because there is a rigidity and, and certain mm -hmm. expectations and, you know, a lot of rote learning and a lot of boredom in school, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of kids struggle in that, but it doesn't necessarily predict how they're going to do later in life when they have the opportunity to choose their own path, to do things exactly. the way that, that suits them more. And I think, you know, in the last few decades, it's been really impressive how many, you know, post-secondary schools have opportunities to basically create your own curriculum, Love create that. your own, you know, diploma. What do you want to get a degree in? And now of course with the tech industry, there's just, you know, uh, um, if you're in that field, there's just unlimited opportunities to express yourself and, and find what sparks your interests. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we're progressing. We're progressing. <laughs> we are, we're getting there. We're getting and, there. Um, Let's talk medication just for a moment, because I was pretty certain I had ADHD for a long time and only maybe eight, nine months ago, did I even go into a doctor and say, you know, I have trouble focusing. And 
she just went down the list, however long the list was of like, check, 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 check. No surprise. <laughs> yeah. She's like a hundred percent certain that you have ADHD, right. but I had never received the diagnosis. And then of course, the next thing out of her mouth was we should get you on uh, medication. And her choice was Adderall. And I also have insomnia. And so she put me on too high of a dosage and I felt extremely jittery and I couldn't sleep even though I took it in the morning. And so now it's a much lower dosage. Um, And and I'm just curious because sometimes when I mention this to friends and colleagues, they say, oh, okay, well, you don't need to medicate yourself just because you have a diagnosis. But it has truly helped me focus throughout the day. I'm still multitasking and doing all the things, but I'm able to concentrate on those things and and enjoy them a little bit more. There's not as much confusion, but there is shame behind it, even in saying this out loud on the pot. So I'm thinking I I have my own limiting beliefs around it. So what is your opinion or perception on medication on the whole? I think that it is always up to the individual and or their parents. Um, and you know, it, it's how much of a pain point is this for you? And, and is it going to, you know, benefit you in some way to be on the medication? So I've been on and off medication. I take it some days and I don't on other days, depending on how many, how much of a demand there's going to be on me. Um, so, you know, I just, there are so many kids who struggle and feel shame and they want to do well. I mean, one of the things that kills me is again, going back to teachers who are, you know, they struggle with the kids in their classrooms and then they make the kids feel bad. You know what, our kids feeling bad about who they are and how they express themselves. And while we would like this ideal world where everybody can be who they are and learn in their own way in school, the reality is you can't always do that. And so if a kid can take a medication that doesn't change who they are, but helps them to adapt to the situation that they have to be in classroom and, and feel better about themselves, then why not? Mm-hmm. You know, the study, a lot, I know a lot of parents have worries that their kids will become, you know, addicts uh, when in fact what the studies are showing is that kids who have ADHD who are on medication have a much lower rate of substance use later in their lives mm. uh, because they, they have learned over time how it feels to be focused, mm. attentive, in control, not being impulsive and acting out. And so they, they know the difference mm. um, and they can learn those skills on their own over time, but starting with a medication. So um, I just, you know, we all, we all want to feel good. We all want to do our best. And if that means, you know, Adderall or Ritalin or Concerta or some other medication, um, then, you know, why, why not be at your best? Why not feel good? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know that too, especially as adults, more often than not, we have anxiety or depression often associated with long time of being not treated for ADHD in one way or another. And so a lot of people are on those medications as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I will tell you personally, I've been on an antidepressant on and off for years. About 12 years ago, I went on one because I had a major surgery and I was home for months and months and months and I was depressed and, and I just stayed on it. And at the end of 2019, I thought, I'm going to go off of it. This is going to be great. I'm going to finally go off of this. I've been on it long enough. And then of course the pandemic hit as I was going off of it. 
When you move, Kirsten, your yeah. mic's doing funky things. So every time you move, I'm just oh. getting a lot of feedback. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is that better? Yeah. It's, just it's when because you... I got this headphone in. It's okay. Yeah. So sorry. There you go. It's okay. So, it was just all of a sudden you were moving and it was like. Oh, we don't want that. So, um, so I went off of the medication, started going off, but it took eight months to go off of an antidepressant. And of course we got into the pandemic and everything was shut down, including me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, it meant irritability. It meant harder time focusing. I was using Adderall more often. Um, and I finally decided a couple months ago, you know what, I think I need to go back on this. Mm. And you know, my doctor just kept saying, like, Kirsten, just just go back on, just go back on it. Like, if you're going to do better, you know, if you want to feel better, just go back on it. And you know, even though I'm a psychologist and I constantly tell people, you know, do what you need to do, um, it was a point of pride for me that I had gotten myself off of it over eight months. So, but yeah. it, it ha I have to say, like, I'm happier. I feel better. I'm better to my partner. I'm better at work uh, because I'm back on it. So yeah. Yeah. I just think, you know, it, it's too bad that we aren't, our brains and our bodies aren't naturally just doing whatever it takes to help us feel good and, and do at our hundred percent best all the time. But I'm grateful for medication. So mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. yes, I, I've, yeah. I've certainly um, used it many times for myself for whether it's sleep or depression, yeah. anxiety, yeah. or now ADHD. And um, yeah, there's always been a sense of I'd rather not take this, right. I'd rather be off of it and be naturally, you know, stable or awake or asleep, whichever right. I need to do at the time. Um, and, and there's, <laughs> there's yeah. just times where you need a little bit more support. Do. Um, yes, and emotional support and social support. So you had already mentioned, in, as we began that what lights you up is meeting people. But I always reiterate on these podcasts that that when it's been hard to access pleasure or laughter or play, yeah. that the very first thing I recommend is reaching out to people, um, yes. whether you're circling up with a group of friends or just reaching out to a, a therapist or a coach, um, somebody to listen and Yeah, and absolutely, help. absolutely. Yeah, so thank goodness people like you are out there. And if people wanted to reach you, how could they do so? Well, the first thing I would say is to go find me on World of ADHD. Okay. Um, and that's on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm doing that with uh, my creative partner, Christine Mitchell. Also, if any of your listeners have ADHD and they're creative, either writers or artists, we'd love for them to, to submit something to that campaign. Um, and you can also find me, I've got another business page just under Kirsten Milliken or, or Dr. Milliken okay. on Facebook. So, yep. And I'll post the, um, you know, Great. words Great. On, on the show notes, Great. but I was just on the world of ADHD Facebook page and it's very easy to navigate. Yep. And so will that turn into, um, is it a, is it a book or an exhibit or is it within the Facebook page, people's submissions? So if you go on to, uh, the world of ADHD.com or world of ADHD.com, we actually have the gallery of awesomeness where we have a lot of artistic and written submissions that people have sent in. Um, and our, our intention is over time to gather these um, images and, and written words together and to put them into a book. Uh, cool. We are doing this, you know, we're taking our time with it. We're actually coordinating with um, CHAD, which is a national organization for uh, people with ADHD. 
and uh, we're going to put something together for their conference and hopefully get some more attention to it. And again, just, you know, spread the word about all of the incredible things that people with ADHD are doing in the world and how they just make everything better. So yeah. some of the greatest uh, minds and creative talents, I'm sure. Absolutely. In all different fields, in all yes. different fields. It's just amazing. So good. I so enjoy talking to you, Kirsten. I'm you. glad to see your face and I might see you in person someday soon. Maybe, tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. I hear there's a book signing. <laughs> I love it when my guests plug my book and I'm like, oh yeah, I wrote a book. Yeah, the book, the book. <laughs> the book, yeah, which is such an ADD title. My next husband will be a lesbian. Heck yeah. People are like, what's that about? I'm like, trying new things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> summary that's the elevator speech it's about trying new things <laughs> extrapolate from there <laughs> oh my gosh yes it, and actually um the woman who connected us uh who is yep. adhd herself yep. who's an artist um an author and filmmaker um uh, contributor in the book so i i'm curious now i have definitely seen um as to the clients who have come yeah. to me lately like bisexual slash fluid slash curious yeah. women with ADHD in yep. midlife. That's interesting. My, that's my ideal client. So there there's a go. connection. I, I'm going to talk to those people you told me to talk to okay. um, because yes, I'm just saying it out loud right now. I think there's probably a connection between <laughs> ADHD and bisexuality. Uh, you heard it here first from Marlowe. <laughs> <laughs> the sexuality expert who never has sex. Just there saying. you go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Super. So happy to see you. Thank you all for um, joining Kirsten and I today for this talk. And I look forward to continuing the conversation with any of you. Feel free to reach out to me at any time. Uh, you can check out my website, pashamarlo.com or reach out via email, pasha at pashamarlo.com. Um, and if you like this podcast, if you've been enjoying it, please care to review or share that would be very helpful um or give us a, a five star review would be super helpful <laughs> i'm just going to tell you the structure here's what you do you go on you give us a five star review and you write some nice words and then you share it with all your friends there you go all you need is a template <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> the end. all right thank you so much everybody good to see you kirsten thanks for coming too. bye, bye.